people. Thanks for braving the weather. Rain. When I used to have hair, rain didn't bother me. Now that I'm bald, it bothers me. Feel every drop. It's good to have you here. If you're a guest, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors. It's good to see you. I'd love to meet you afterward if you have the time. If you brought a Bible or a device with you, go ahead and turn to John. We're going to be in chapter 20 today. We are actually getting very close to being done with this series on a look at Jesus through the eyes and through the prism of John. And today is a a particularly fun passage for me. Um, Some of you were at my house two Christmases ago. Every Christmas Eve, we have an open house, me and my wife do. We've, We've done it since the church has been a church. And this, well, two Christmases ago, she decided to play a prank on me. Now listen, it's not a big deal. We have YouTube, everyone's pulling pranks on everybody. But this is a woman who's not pranked anyone in 20 years. So she was a sleeper and I never saw it coming. She somehow got her hands on a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> and she brought everybody into the same room and she sat me down and she said, I have a gift for you. Of course, everyone's cell phone comes out immediately. That's when my antenna went up a little bit. This must be a really big gift, like a new car or something. And then she just gave me a bag with the pregnancy test in it. Now listen, I know what a pregnancy test is, but I was confused. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking at it, and I'm happy because I love kids. I have a few. Would be excited to have another one, but then I'm a bit freaked out because they're expensive. <laughs> and we're not, we're not getting any younger. So I'm thinking, wait, I'm happy, but I'm a bit freaked. But I can't let on that I'm freaked because then it'll, it'll make me look like a troll. So I have to be happy all the time. But then wait a second, everybody's got their cell phone out. And so I kept, if you've seen it, went on Facebook, and everybody got a hold of it. But it was me asking her, is this real? is this real? And she wouldn't answer me. It came out that it was a prank. Now listen, if she ever brings out a pregnancy test again, I'm not buying it, right? I mean, until she has a little baby bump and she's puking in the mornings, then I might buy it, but she's not going to be able to pull that joke ever again. I'm cynical and I'm a little bit more hesitant and skeptical around her in certain instances like that because I think I could get popped again with another joke. But I didn't need much of a push to be a cynic, right? My birthday misses, just by a few years, what it takes to be a millennial. And millennials are called the cynical generation, and I don't blame them for being cynical, right? I understand. Um, In fact, last year, Adobe Photoshop, the graphics um, software, it turned 25, making it a millennial, which makes total sense, right? So we have Adobe Photoshop. If you're not familiar with what that program does, it basically bends reality. You can augment or edit photos to make them look like something that they are totally not. And what used to be several hundred dollars back in the day to get your hands on a copy of Photoshop, you could pretty much do a lot of the same stuff with a filter or an app on your phone today. So the result of this is a generation or a culture that doesn't really believe all that it sees. I mean, you've been in Kroger, you've seen the magazine covers, the big biceps, the small waist, the absence of wrinkles or stretch marks or anything, and you look at it and you think, well, but maybe not, right? I mean, seeing used to be believing, but seeing isn't really believing anymore. Add to this the now common use of CGI in movies. Didn't used to be common, but now it's hard to find a movie that is made without the use of computer graphics and how it interfaces with the screen. Now, back in the 80s, which it's also a millennial, by the way, CGI. Back in the 80s when Tron came out, remember Tron, like the original Tron? 
or Terminator or Jurassic Park. These were the original movies that really cracked open what CGI could do. And I remember being a young man watching those movies and having my mind just blown. Are you kidding me? That is cool. But right after that, right after that comes reality television, right? Another thing that for a moment started to bend reality, back in 2000 is when the very first Ep, or very first episode and season of Survivor came out, right? Some of you remember that, the very first Survivor. There have been 30 now, right? But the very first one, I remember hearing about the concept and then seeing the preview, and I thought, are you kidding me? We get unfettered access to raw, genuine, authentic people that aren't acting at all, and they're doing real things on a tropical island. I'm curious to what we'll see. I mean, it's gonna be humanity on display. <laughs> By episode two, you're like, wait a minute. This doesn't look like reality at all, right? So a cynical generation gets a little bit more cynical. Soon to come after reality television is social media. That's the timing of things. Social media is actually built and designed for you to only portray the parts of your life that you feel like portraying. It's basically a Photoshop for the life. You could create your own universe. If you want people to think that your life is great, you can tell them only about the great things. Or you can actually bend things with filters or whatever to make it look like it's better than it really is, right? And so we get even more cynical. So we've come to be a people that seeing is not believing anymore. Now we just don't believe what we do see. And sadly, very sadly, we can add to this the long roster and Rolodex of people in our lives who have duped us, dropped us, and fooled us, right? Parents, I mean, even if they didn't mean to. Coaches, best friends, teachers, coworkers, neighbors, spouses, kiddos, me, yourself. I mean, do you have a list? Have you ever been dropped or fooled or duped? I have, I've got stories. I think we're built and modified to be a cynical people. Creation just has a way of bending us into doubters, right? just don't need much help anymore. Maybe today, as you come into this room, you find yourself, if you're being honest, even if it's not out of your mouth, but in your gut, that you're skeptical, cynical, and hesitant with God. Maybe not the existence of God. Maybe you have a resolve there. You believe that God really is out there somewhere, but he doesn't, he doesn't love, he doesn't care, and he has no strength. You don't believe that. Maybe if you even believe that, you don't believe that he cares for you personally or is strong for you personally. So I think today might be a good, helpful passage for those of us like me who are skeptical, cynical, hesitant, and doubt. And we don't need much help to get there, right? See, today's passage is odd and familiar at the same time. It's, it's odd in the fact that we find Jesus doing things that we don't understand. But then we see Thomas doing things that we all totally totally understand. So let's look at this passage. We're going to start in the 19th verse of chapter 20 in the book of John. So John 20, 19, this is the word of the Lord for us today. It's going to be very helpful showing us Jesus more clearly. And it says this, on the evening of that day, which, what is that day? This is Easter morning. Okay. So this is, we're picking up where we left off last week. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad 
when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's kind of the last story in this gospel. The next chapter is almost like a prologue. And listen, there's some textual oddities in this. I don't want to pretend or not there. Okay, there's some things here that have probably been question marks for you because typically when we see people breathing on other people and speaking backwards, it looks like they've been struck by lightning. That's what crazy people do. They just walk around breathing. It's awkward. But Jesus is doing it here, and we just kind of move right past it. So I'd like to look at it a little bit. What does this mean? What is this breathing all about? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath in the Bible has been a very powerful symbol. If you go back to Genesis, new life came to a new race of man by God's breath into Adam. And then even in this book in John, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus back in chapter 3, and he describes the Holy Spirit bringing a new breath into man. It comes, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. We can see the effects. That's about all we can see. Hard to pin down, but it's new. Brings a new beginning. So this much is clear. This much is clear regarding breath. Not, not too many scholars get all twisted up over that. But where people do get twisted up is many people believe, and maybe you do as you sit here today, many people believe that this is where disciples gain the Holy Spirit for the first time. Because that's what it looks like. I mean, just at first glance. Like maybe Jesus is giving a little bit of the Holy Spirit in this moment, but then he really follows up at Pentecost and gives the rest of the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to clear that up just if I can, just to get through it. This is not the giving of the Holy Spirit as a down payment for more to come later. That's not what's happening right here. First of all, we don't see Jesus ever in any of the Gospels speaking of two installments of the Holy Spirit. He only speaks of one. And how does he phrase it? He says, it's good for you when I leave, because whenever I leave, I send the Holy Spirit. Well, he hasn't left yet. He's not ascended yet. So none of this would have taken place Secondly, they don't act afterward, after this, as if anything bold and new have happened. You see, eight days later, what are they still doing? They're praying behind a locked door. They're still a little bit freaked out. It's all fight or flight for them still. They, they went back to work at the factory. They're kind of hiding out. They think that any minute they could be snatched up. This is how they're acting. 
But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit swoops in and changes their life, you don't see that kind of activity. You see a very bold demeanor on all of them, and it's that way throughout the rest of the story. I think what we see here, and the best interpretation I've found and what I truly believe, is this is a symbolic gesture, much like what the Old Testament prophets would do. If you go back and you look at the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel or Hosea, whenever they would speak for God to a people, they would do some fantastical or over-the-top expression, a little bit like an illustration, but it would be more than an illustration, like marrying somebody, right? Or sleeping on one side for a long time. It'd be something very over-the-top. Why? To leave a mental mark on the people that are watching. This is God speaking, you will remember. It's like a it's like a hyper-illustration. This is, in fact, Jesus in prophetical form, pointing to the time where new things will come and change history forever. And this is great timing for that, too, because they're all freaked out. They're behind locked doors. I mean, that's a different kind of huddled. That's a different kind of prayer meeting. When you think that at any minute, the police can come by and take you, and you could die that day. So it's kind of Jesus to show up, and what is the first thing he say, it's peace, be at rest. This threat of death on you, death has no sting. This, this worrisome um, spiritual work you put in, it's, it's all gone. You could be at rest outside, you could be at rest inside, but be at rest. And then he says this, if you forgive, they lose their sins. If you don't forgive, they keep their sins, right? Now what is that about? I will say Jesus is not saying that these disciples have the power to free or doom people. It's not happening right here. But when we carry the gospel, we are in effect forgiving or not forgiving, okay? Depending on what the hearer does with that. I want you to remember that Jesus is the original sin eater, okay? When we trust Jesus, he takes our sin and puts it on himself, therefore taking it from us. But if we reject Jesus, we retain our sin. So forgiveness comes by someone's trust in the message that we bring. There is power in that message. That is all Jesus is saying here. So if you can zoom out of this passage just for a moment, if you could zoom out of it and maybe put it in today's terms, Jesus is showing up and saying, hey, everybody, I'm here. I'm here. And you could be at rest. You could be at peace right now. You can settle down. Let's let the blood pressure drop. Because even the things that look like they're a threat, they're not a threat to you anymore. The law's not a threat to you anymore. The, 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 the authorities outside, they're not a threat to you anymore. And here's proof. Look at my wrecked body. Here it is. Scars and all. Piercings and all. I was dead. You saw it. And now I'm not dead anymore. I left death back there. I'm beyond death now. And you all remember how the Father sent me, right? Yes. Well, that's how you're being sent. And then he breathes, and he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. What makes man new? A new thing is coming. A new message is in you now. The gospel is in you. And it's a powerful message. It's the message that will inspire new life in some, and it will actually doom others because they reject the things that you say, which is more than just a rejection of you. It's a rejection of the message you carry. That's how powerful it is. This is what's happening. It's not complicated. It's actually beautiful when you unpack it. But then Thomas walks in the door. Then Thomas comes, right? The only guy that wasn't there. That's probably a different sermon. 
He's not glad, like the rest of them, just cynical, just doubting, right? I can imagine in my head him walking in the door and just being smoshed by everybody, trying to talk over each other to tell him what they just saw. Like little kids trying to catch their mom and dad up on something. Thomas, you wouldn't believe it. You missed it by like this much. It's super crazy what we just saw. Everyone talking over each other. And I want you to remember what Thomas has heard by this time. In a very short amount of time, he has heard the evidence from some eyewitnesses that are very trustworthy, right? Mary Magdalene comes back and says, listen, guys, I saw Jesus. I thought he was a gardener, not a gardener, right? He is Jesus. He was alive, super crazy, no one in the tomb. She can't even catch her breath. He saw that. And then the other women that same Easter morning that went and saw that the tomb was empty, and then Peter and John, who also went and saw that the tomb was empty. Person after person after person. I, I imagine rumor got out a little bit. I wonder, doesn't say, I wonder if he went to go look for himself. I would have. I mean, the tomb is there. Take a walk. Go see for yourself. And with all of this evidence, with all of what you've seen Jesus do for three years, and with what these people are telling him right now, you know what the best he can do? Nah, I don't know if I'm buying it. Smart guys, where's he at if you're so smart? I don't see him. I don't know that I'm buying it. I think I'm gonna need to verify that for myself. Now, growing up as a Christian, I would read this passage and think, what a donkey, this guy. You know, I mean, you've been around people like this. They're contrarians or they're cynical just because it's like a hobby for them. And it's like what they love to do. Like the world is begging for more devil advocates and they feel the calling to be one. So every time you say something, they say the opposite, you know. And I would read this and go, what are you doing? I mean, are you serious? Like they made all of that up. You think they made all of that up? Why would they make all of that up? Like it's a prank? Why would you possibly not believe that? With all that you've seen and what's right in front of you, why would you do that? You know, because this is in John's account, because that's how we are. We read it as if we're not, but that DNA is in our blood. It's kicking around. It's in me. If we were honest, doubting God's care of us and his strength, it runs really deep. Because when we don't see God's care and we don't see God's strength, we don't believe in God's care and we don't believe in God's strength. I mean, there's eight days that go between the time of their report to the time of Jesus' return in that same locked room. Eight days. I can envision Thomas walking down the road with this big grumpy frown on his face, kicking a can, you know. Jesus didn't show up to me, you know, showed up to those guys. I don't even know if I believe it, you know. I don't know if I'm going to take their word for it. I'm starting to wonder if maybe Jesus has two faces, one for the people that he loves and then one for me. They're talking about his care and his strength as if it's a real thing, but I didn't see it. I don't have a hard time thinking that that might be going through his head because thousands of years earlier, his first father in Adam was kicking the same stupid can in the garden, right? I don't know about this whole God thing, being so good and strong and careful with me. After all, the serpent told me that he has two faces, one where he looks out for himself. Maybe I should look out for myself. Maybe God is oppressing me. Maybe I need to look out for number one. Friends, this is why you and I doubt. It's the same thing. We're the same lineage. This is why we doubt God's love for us and his care for us. It's how we came out of the factory. You know, one of the things that doesn't help, well, I'll say it doesn't help, probably should more accurately say it does help. One of the things that does help me see 
and reveals how alive this is in me is social media because that's where we report all the most brilliant things that have ever happened to us, right? On display for all of us who are like living a very boring moment at the time whenever we, it's like whenever you're reading about what somebody else just updated, a status update, you're not in the middle of doing something super cool at the time, right? <laughs> you're like going to the bathroom or just kind of like sick in bed or eating leftovers or something like that. And it's very easy to see somebody say, look what God has done for me. He speaks to me. He said this to me and has changed my life. And, and we read it and we think, he's not speaking to me. I wouldn't even know what that sounds like. It's definitely not moving in my life. Or we see somebody say, listen, something horrible was done to me and I had this just insufferable unforgiveness, but I forgive now because I see how God has forgiven me. It's really hard to read those updates whenever we have unforgiveness in our heart. Whenever we see God doing things for other people, he's not doing for us, right? Look, we're pregnant. Look, I got a new job. Look at me, and look what God is not doing for you. This is true. When others prosper and you feel impoverished, it's gonna be real easy to calcify into a very critical believer. In fact, there are doubts that could run so deep, it will take literally a personal interaction with Jesus to overcome that obstacle. How do I know that? It's in our text today. Here's the good news, though. God is actually in the business of taking our doubts and moving them aside. He's really good at taking anything and moving it aside, right? He just did it with death. <laughs> Took death, shoved it over here, moved it aside. So what is Thomas's doubt? It's nothing. It's nothing. So ask yourself the question today, since you serve the same God, where would you like some proof that God really is who he says he is? What does that look like for you? Where do you feel like he has two faces in your life? Where do you need to see God do something that shows care or strength for you? You're seeing him do it with others, but not you. Have you ever expressed that to God? Are you faking or pretending that it's not there? Are you perhaps voicing or owning it? Have you ever owned it? See, I like that this is one of the last stories in our march through John because belief only where we can see it is pandemic in the church even in people like Thomas, who closely follow and love Jesus. We're not talking about some atheistic professor from whatever school USA. We're talking about a guy that loved Jesus, would give his own life for Jesus, as he said earlier. And we know we shouldn't feel this way. We know that we shouldn't, but honestly, we just sense that if God is not showing me his care, then he doesn't really care. And if he's not showing himself to be strong, then he just isn't strong. And it's not good enough anymore for other people to tell us that in our suffering, God is there with us. We want to feel it. It's just not good enough anymore for people to tell us that God is there with you in your pain when we're not feeling and experiencing God's presence in that moment. It's not good enough for people to tell us that God provides when we feel poverty all around us. We want to experience it, don't we? We believe, but not really. We would never call God a liar, but we think he's lying to us all at the same time when we're honest with ourselves. And what I'd love for you to do is be even more honest and ask yourself, what do you do to get around this cynicism, this doubting Thomas phenomenon? When you believe God, but not really. When you trust, but not really. What are you doing with that? With that bitterness that comes when he is doing for others and not for you, as if he had two faces. As a pastor, it's easy to see people go one of two routes, two main routes. One is where people fake it and they pretend that that cynicism isn't there, right? 
and the other is where they voice it and they own it. I think sometimes we can fake it. I think it's easy to do this because we look around the room and we reason, how can everybody else be wrong? Look at all the other people that say that God is real for them. They have this electric prayer time. They march through the Bible and they like just can't get enough of the Bible. They read 50 books a year. All they do is talk. I mean, that person can't be wrong, right? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm too dirty. Maybe I need to clean my closet before he shows up to a person that's so dirty. Maybe I need to fake it until I make it because at least that way I'm driving in the right direction, right? That's what we tell ourselves anyway. How can so many people be wrong? Listen, that destroys intimacy. Anytime you think God is holding great things from you and giving them to others because of your dirtiness and their cleanliness, you will drift away from ever seeing him as good. You will drift away from seeing his care and his strength for you. It just breaks intimacy and deep, just deep relationship right in half. And the enemy loves it too, by the way. I think a big fear of mine when I was putting this together is that many of you in here, a close relationship with God is something that other people have on your behalf. You trust them more than you trust God. And the only reason you haven't bailed on Christianity is because you see them getting so much fruit from the relationship and you just cross your fingers and you hope it could be you someday. Maybe it could be me someday. Maybe you'll be likable someday. It's when you fake it, it destroys all, all possibility of intimacy. Now, but listen, when you own it and when you voice it, now that's something totally different. I mean, Thomas is pretty over the top in this passage, is he not? He just shows up and he, he doesn't, Thomas doesn't put on this, well, gosh, guys, this is exciting. I mean, I wish I'd have gotten here a little sooner. I mean, I'm just the master of bad timing. He comes in with some bags from Kroger and they're like, Thomas, you missed it. And he's thinking, dang, maybe next time, guys. That's not what happened. He's like, no, mm -mm. I'm gonna have to dig my hand around in his wounds. What a weird thing to say. I'm gonna have to touch his nail holes and feel all over it and experience it. Sorry, it's what it's gonna take. He's a little bit dramatic. We can give him points for drama, right? But at least he's being honest. I mean, I don't think he's hiding anything in this. And what I love is it's eight days that Thomas stirs in this doubt eight long days of kicking the can down the street. Now, why didn't God just show up right then and there? He just left. Thomas just missed him. Why, why eight days? Why do you think God didn't just show up? Just shazam, Thomas, I heard that. Looky here, don't be such a donkey. Believe, don't believe, and then just disappear again. Why eight days? I think if we're honest, God is not so super insecure with how we struggle in our belief. He's not wilting. He's not listening to our, our, our doubting cynicism and going, oh gosh, they don't believe in me. So I need to get there immediately and show that I'm, that I'm strong and I'm caring. He's okay with letting us be in that struggle. It is in that struggle that you bump into the end of yourself, where trust runs out, where dependence runs out, and you're like, I've got nothing left. That's also the edge of growth. We act like Thomas is here accidentally, right? Like it was leg day at Gold's and he thought he could get a quick workout in and he gets back. Like it was a total, just times didn't line up or something. No, God led this. He could have showed up 30 minutes later. He could have showed up 30 days later, but he didn't. God led him to the edge of trust. Listen, when you find yourself in a place of cynicism and doubt, that's a beautiful place to be a lot of times. It's a doorway to prayer where you could wrestle with a shred of honesty 
you could wrestle with who God is, how strong and how caring he is. He doesn't flip out on those prayers. I think many of us watch God be kind and strong for others, but we watch it as cynics. We watch it as doubters. I'll believe it when I experience it. Not on your testimony. Not even based on what history is for me. I'll believe it when it happens to me. Listen, this is why I love the gospel in this passage. The gospel is out loud in this passage because when Jesus shows up, he doesn't come alone. He brings his scars. Didn't have to, did he? He could have come with a halo, (laughs) wings. He could have come in any way, but he comes with his scars. The marks of us beating him. The marks of the price tag of what it costs for blood to wash over our sins. That's how he comes. Why? Because it's proof. Proof of what? That he is caring for you and that he is strong for you. It's the testimony of God's glory and your benefit. It's a living testimony. Friends, hear me. If you don't hear anything else, this is not a story about Thomas putting his hands on Jesus. It's a story about Jesus putting his hands on Thomas, right? Jesus apprehends Thomas long before Thomas even has an opportunity to touch his scars. By the way, I don't think he does. It doesn't say it in the text. I think he sees Jesus and that's it. He's leveled. I think this happened because the same thing happened to me. I had a heart of stone, a cynical unbeliever, and I couldn't help it. Listen, I didn't believe and I didn't care that I didn't believe because I had a heart of stone. This is just the way it was. It's the way I came into the world. It's the way you came into the world. The stone heart of Adam is all I knew. But when Jesus put his hands on me, I cared. I cared for the first time. And that's because of this thing that we call regeneration. Regeneration is where God takes our heart of stone, pulls it out, and shoves in a heart of flesh. One that does see, with spiritual eyes. One that does care. One that is broken for the first time. One that understands for the first time. We get a lot of this from Ezekiel 36. Now stay in your text today, but this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is the Lord, and he says to his people, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your God. Listen, if you're a son or a daughter of the king today, there was a moment where God was more than just somebody that you heard about in the testimony of others. But he became real, intimately and personally real to you. You remember that. Maybe you were a kid. Maybe it was last week, but it happened for you. You saw the fruit of your life and how it was running its course, but then you saw the fruit of Jesus' death, and for the first time, it just all made sense. And for the first time, you cared. And for the first time, you were broken, and you knew that something needed to change. You knew that you were a dead person, but Jesus was alive, and you knew that you were dead without him. And this was all grace to you, because you didn't earn that. You weren't smart enough to put yourself in the right position at the right time. You weren't wise enough to search through all of the assortment of world religions and just brilliant enough to pick the one that made the most. None of that happened. He opened your heart. You had a heart transplant. Regeneration came. That's what happens. You know, we're, we're going to baptize some people today. That's what you walked by. And I'll explain that tank in a little while so that you understand why it's a 
livestock trough, right? <laughs> but these people that are going down in the water and coming up, it's a testimony that God has done a heart transplant in them. And something new has come. Something new has come. Now listen, everything I said is true for salvation, but this is also true for Christian living. Because remember, John says in this book, this gospel, that all of this was written so that you, as a believer, can believe and have life. This was written to believers. It was written so that you, a believer, can believe and have life. Why? Because we're cynics. We're doubters. The whole world is photoshopped. We have to experience it. And the testimony of others just isn't good enough. Right? And this is what I love. This is what I love. God is patient with our locked doors. God is patient with our constant refusals. He's patient. Look at how he handles Thomas when he shows up. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't bring guilt. I mean, that's what we would expect, right? He shows up. We might expect somebody that's being rejected to say, Thomas, dumb, dumb, dumb Thomas. So dumb. After all you've seen and after all they're saying and you're acting like that, dumb, dumb, dumb. But he doesn't do that. Listen, whatever's going on in your life right now where you don't think that you can bring yourself to just trust and believe that God cares and loves and is strong for you, no, just know that God has grace for your doubting and he's not insecure about it. He's not panicked. It might be by design that you are there in that moment right now for your good and for his glory. Here's another big question. In your discourse with the Lord, as you speak and as you pray and as you, we could say, wrestle, does it have a shred of honesty to it? Are you honest when you speak with the Lord? I mean, you can stop pretending. There's just no room for it. You know, I've never been a journaler. I've just not. 2017, I've journaled more in 2017 than I have my whole life, you know? And I was looking at this text, and I was looking at a little piece that I journaled on this text just between me and the Lord, but I felt like I could read it. It's two sentences. And it's just this. Give me faith and trust, God, because I'm leaking. I covet the stories I hear in other people's lives because I see you doing it for them, but I don't see you doing it for me. Honestly, Lord, that's just not enough for me anymore. I need more of you, regardless of what happens. God, give me eyes to see your gospel. See it new, where I'm reminded that you really are powerful, and I'm reminded that you really do care. And even if it takes eight days, or eight weeks, or eight decades, I trust you, because you have scars. I put them there, but you left death on the slab for my benefit and for your glory, my God and my Lord. You know, I, I would love to encourage you today that whenever you are taking communion, just whenever you feel like it during our songs, which we're about to shift gears into here in just a moment, communion, if you are a guest, is just something that we do as a church of believers, right? So if you're not a believer and you'd call yourself someone that is far from Jesus, we wouldn't invite you to take communion. That's actually a mark for the church, but we would invite you to take Jesus instead, to become a Christian. But as you take communion as the church, I would love for you just to consider how honest you are in your discourse with the Lord. I would love for you to consider those areas where you think that he has two faces, the, the places where you think you need to look out for yourself. 
or maybe you're too dirty for him to approach. And you just, like Thomas, I'll believe it when I see it. Consider that, right? And if we were to apply this to the people that are not here, the doubters and the cynics that are in our great city. One of the things that this passage has helped me for, or helped me with as a missionary to Knoxville or as an evangelist to Knoxville is it's given me the peace that I don't need to cram my evidence down the throat of every single person that has doubts about Christianity. <laughs> I don't have to do that. I mean, look at this passage. You've got the apostolic board, 10 apostles and an assortment of other people, and they're having a really difficult time proving to Thomas, who actually loves Jesus, that Jesus is alive. That's actually happening. What chance do you think, talking to Johnny Barstool, who doesn't even believe that God exists, you, you think that's on your shoulders? Friend, those are, those are rocks that only the Holy Spirit can move. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I mean, if this passage shows anything, it shows that the heavy lifting that happens in regeneration, that's by God's spirit, not by your suave skill and the last book you read. Now, evangelism and missionary work, those results are not on your shoulders, but the work of it is. To be a missionary, the fruit that comes from that work, which if you're a Christian, by the way, you are a missionary. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a missionary to the city. It doesn't exist. So the work is on your shoulders, but the fruit of what happens after that is not. That belongs to the Holy Spirit. You go, you preach, you tell, and let him erase the doubt. Let him come and erase all the skepticism. Let him come and do the heart surgery. So if you truly want those that you love around you and those that you do life with, if you want them to experience the life that you have in Jesus, pray for the Holy Spirit to change their heart. Don't pick up another book more than you pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to change, and I mean pray hard. Pray with long suffering. Pray when it looks like they're close. Pray when it looks like they're far. Pray all the time. And whenever you start to find ears and hearts that are ready to hear the message, know that is not you being extra smooth. That is the Holy Spirit on site doing work. That's holy ground. Be excited and pray. But when you run into Thomas out there, when you run into Thomas, also don't be dissuaded from speaking. Just know that that is weight that God shifts, and he's actually pretty good at it. He's pretty good at it. Go ahead and stand with me. I want to finish off the same way that Thomas finishes off here. Very cool five words. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord. That's his response. My Lord and my God, which is how we enter this this moment, again, Thomas does not apprehend Jesus. It's the other way around. Jesus grabs Thomas. Jesus is the hero of this story. If it wasn't for Jesus showing up, Thomas is still kicking the can down the proverbial street. So if you are a doubter today and you are cynical today and you're looking at a Photoshopped world, jaded, that God is not doing for you what he is doing for others, I want you to look at his scars. Look at his scars. Then look at the tomb. That's proof. He's strong. He's very loving. This tomb that he defeated so that you'll never see the inside of one. Look at his power, his grace, that he's not blown you up for even doubting. But he's kind to you. He's patient with you. Eight days, eight eons. God is to be trusted and he is to be worshiped. And for those of you who are far from Jesus or would not consider yourself a Christian, I would ask you another question. Is regeneration occurring in your heart today? 
is today a day where your heart is starting to stir. You maybe didn't care yesterday or even when you got ready this morning, but right now you care. Right now something's happening and you don't really know what it is, but you feel provoked to respond. You just don't really know to what. You know you're dead. You're a dead person walking and you know that Jesus has life, but everything in between, you don't really know what's going on. I would suggest that regeneration may be occurring in your life. I'd love for you to talk to me today. Find me today. Pull me aside today. Pull a leader aside today. Anyone you see on stage and ask them, what do I need to do? Because this could be happening. Maybe, just as Job said, what I used to hear with my ears, I now see with my eyes, if that's you. I'm excited for you, very excited. Let me pray, and then we'll get into worship. Father, I thank you so much for freeing me from skepticism and cynicism as a younger man and then doing it this morning. <laughs> that you're constantly, you're constantly reminding me of how much you love me and care for me and are strong for me, and you've used scars and a bloody cross and an empty tomb to do it. Father, help us as a church. Help us not just be satisfied with everybody else loving Jesus around us. Help us be satisfied, Father, with the fact that we see you, even though we used to just hear about you, but we see you, we can experience you. And Lord, when we can't experience you, and we can't see you with our own eyes, and we can't touch your wounds, that we would cry out to you until we can. That we become hungry, desperate to experience you. And in those times where it's dark, and we are not as glad as those around us, Lord, that you would remind us of your sweet gospel, where you cosmically gifted us with new life. You freed us. You were so good and you were so kind. You were so thoughtful. How much grace is in this passage? You're so thoughtful. We love you, and it's in your name we pray.